www.brfcs.com. By the fans. For the fans. Since 1996. Welcome to BRFCS podcast number 46. I'm Wen Waihu, the BRFCS editor, and with me in the virtual studio today are Chief Reporter Cammy, Assistant Editor Eddie, and Stevie from BRFCS Admin. This week we've had uh, a couple of matches against Sheffield Wednesday on Wednesday and also against Watford on Saturday. In the meantime, uh, the search for a new manager continues and we'll be discussing uh, that in detail. Also, uh, Stevie will be reporting on the Blackburn Rovers United meeting that took place on Friday evening uh, and we'll be discussing one or two other things as well. So, I'd uh, just like to welcome everyone in. Uh, first of all, Kami, how are you? Morning, Ren, I'm fine. How are things in Japan? Yeah, uh, still going okay, no problems. Yeah, Eddie, uh, you okay? Yeah, all fine here, thanks. Good. Um, you got over to the Sheffield Wednesday game, I believe? Yeah, I saw that match. Good. I was uh, unable to, uh, to get yesterday, but, but saw the Sheffield Wednesday game. Good. And uh, Stevie, uh, it's good to have you on. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's good to be back on again. It's uh, the extra area in bed helps, certainly with the clocks going back, so it's great. Yeah, uh, that's, that's right. The, the clocks have gone back. Uh, nearly caught me out. Uh, and uh, you went to, to the Wednesday and the Watford matches. Yeah, I've been, I've, um, I've been to both games as well, uh, so hopefully should yeah. be able to add some sort of insight into that. Good. Uh, uh, you also went to the Derby match, did you? I also went to Derby, yeah. Yeah, well, we look forward to hearing about uh, those and also about your uh, report on the United meeting uh, on Friday. Uh, we'll start off with the, the football, first of all. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday uh, was rather a dull match by all reports, uh, but we got the win, uh, 1-0, uh, with Grant Hanley scoring early on. And then yesterday, uh, we went into the last 12 minutes, uh, having missed a penalty to go one up. Uh, but Jordan Rhodes saves us at the death and uh, one week on after uh, losing out uh, at the death uh, this time we uh, managed to get the three points so uh, first of all uh, Sheffield Wednesday what did you think Cammy? How, how did you see the game? Yeah it was um, well, it wasn't the best game in the world uh, uh, first 25 minutes I thought we, it was the best I've seen Rovers play this season uh, we got the early goal uh, Dunny did really well uh, outpacing a fullback, so that fullback must be really slow if if Dunny's outpaced him, um, and then uh, pushing the ball across the box, and Hanley was there just to to tap it in, and then after that for twenty odd minutes we absolutely tore into Sheffield Wednesday. Great passing, great movement. Uh, Kazim Richards could have scored. Uh, Jordan Rhodes had a shot which was from a tight angle. There were various other half chances in the box and. Uh, at that point, I thought, well, if we get another goal, this could be a 4 or 5 nil because of the way that we were playing. Um, and at the back, we seemed very well organised. So we had the attacking side, right? And also defensively, uh, we looked much more organised. Um, then suddenly, after about 25, 30 minutes, um, for some reason, um, we lost our momentum and we started to fall deeper and deeper back and, and allowing Sheffield Wednesday much more time on the ball uh, and, and, and you know they were 
pushing up and causing us problems. Uh, um, but we got to half time one nil up. Um, quite happy with that. Uh, second half, uh, again, unfortunately, uh, we carried on this trend of of dropping deep. I know Dunny's injury had some effect because he was superb for the thirty five odd minutes that he was on. Um, but second half, we dropped deeper and deeper. Gave Sheffield Wednesday far too much ball. Uh, although uh, they never really created anything because defensively we were really well organised. Uh, I thought Jason Law did a superb job in terms of providing defensive cover. Uh, his uh, his passing was all all that great, but he did provide good defensive cover. But um, you know, uh, you know, we dropped far too deep. Uh, we never really conceded any chances to Sheffield, uh, but it was a real worry uh, in terms of uh, how far. Uh, Baku were dropping and giving uh, Sheffield Wednesday far too much time and space, but in the end, uh, you know we we got the win, which was the main thing, um, and it pushed us, uh, you know, towards a playoff spot. Yeah, I think Sheffield Wednesday actually had their best chance before we scored in the first couple of minutes, where they had a header. It seemed to be a free header that they put over the bar, but I don't recall, and this is the same for the Watford game. I don't recall Robinson having to make a, a decent save in either of those games, other than long range shots. So it does suggest that we're actually setting ourselves up in the right sort of manner. I think the difference with the Sheffield Wednesday game and the Watford game is the timings of the goal because we scored so early against Sheffield Wednesday. They had time to come back into the game when you score with 10 minutes to go or in the last few minutes of the game. Then you, you don't get into that position where you have to spend time sitting back. So I think that that that's the diffi- that's the difference in the games. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, they didn't really neither match forced Robinson into any saves, but Sheffield Wednesday did have a couple of chances where they went, you know, they they shot wide when they could have possibly done better. But I think that in the Wednesday match, Dunn going off really changed the match. I mean, it was his best performance in in probably two years, even though it was only you know thirty minutes. But I I still think, I mean, fitness may contribute, but it does seem that we. If it's a Steve Keane hangover, even if you know we we just sit back from the 60th minute on. Yesterday was an exception because we actually, surprisingly enough, sort of pushed for a winner, which I think probably took the opposition by surprise. But it would be nice if we, you know, when we see that we can actually outplay a team, which was clear on Wednesday, that we stuck to it because it's the best it's the best way to hold on to a lead. Teams are coming to Ewood in the same way as we used to go to teams like Manchester United last year, and they're coming for a draw. They're quite happy to put men behind the ball and defending numbers. And it's going to be frustrating every game you watch. It's not going to be pretty. And you're going to have to spend a lot of time trying to break these players down. And players like Dunny offer something slightly different because they beat the man. They'll go and take a man on. As much as you take a man on, you take three or four people out of the game. And certainly for the Watford game, without Dunny, we had nobody who had that creativity to... To, to, to make that, that key ball through, something was sort of missing. And back in the Sooners days, last time we played in this league and got promoted, we used Ayel Berkovic to be to, in that role to just unlock defences. It was basically a free player and you could get away with playing free at the back because teams would sit back so much against us. I agree, Steve. Uh, it is like, like you said, uh, we're the big boys in this division. So anyone coming here, even a point, Watford were quite happy to come and sit and take a point. Um, and we've just got to be patient. Um, and like you said, uh, last time we were here, Al Berkovic was our best player because Sunesh used him in that creator role. Um, and, and Dunny can definitely do that uh, if he's given time and space. I think that's where people's disappointments in the performances of Danny Murphy are because I think that's what people are expecting from Danny Murphy. 
yeah. is to be that man who unlocks defences. But I think when Keane was playing him, he was playing him in front of the defence, which I think is completely the wrong place to be playing Danny Murphy. Danny Murphy should be when we're pressing forward and pressing for that goal, he should be on the edge of the in the edge of the opposition penalty area, not the edge of ours, where he can actually play a ball through and link somebody through. Yeah, uh, I, I'd be tempted to give him a goal. You know, they playing Rubens Ruchina yesterday, uh, just rode us up front, and Rubens had this free role to go and do whatever he wanted. I'd be tempted to give Danny Murphy a game in that role, saying, OK, you've got no defensive responsibilities, so to speak, so go and do your damage in the last third of the pitch, and let's, let's see what you can do. Uh, and with the intelligent runs that um, Jordan Rhodes makes, someone like Danny Murphy might be able to pick him up Pick, pick his runs out, whereas I love Rubens, I think he's he's got potential to be a fantastic player for us, but the boy doesn't have a brain, he does the hard like, second half was, I think he took two men on, and Kazim was straight through on the right hand side from goal, and he didn't pass it to him and he did that a few times yesterday I think he's got all the skill in the world but he doesn't seem to have a footballing brain, uh, and he continually makes uh, bad decisions, now he Obviously, he's very inexperienced. I think that's the first time he's played 90 minutes for, for Rovers, um, uh, first team anyway. So so he's learning his game. But maybe giving Danny Murphy a go in the Rubens role, uh, we might see a more positive performance from him. I think the team needs to push forward in general. You don't necessarily play to play in Danny Murphy in the Rubens role as such, but the team itself just sits far, far too far backwards and, and invites pressure sometimes. I think that's where the problem lies. It's And the last, certainly, the Derby game was a case in point as well, where I know it's away from home and you expect to soak up more pressure, so you, you do set up more defensively away from home. But we just invited that pressure in that game, and uh, certainly the Derby game, I think we made the wrong substitutions, which was a very much a problem that Keane had. He always, every time he made a substitution, he seemed to make things worse. And certainly Derby, they put four marker on, who's never going to be the player when you 1-0 up, who's going to track back, who's going to make any difference. You know, yeah. pretty player though he may be, you'd have been better off with, you know, an a Pedersen or a Murphy type player who can do a little bit more than just run around aimlessly. Yeah. What I would say about the possibility of starting Murphy though, I think if you do that, you have to put pace around him. And so I think, you know, your hands are tied. You have to start Olsen, well, one of the Olsons in that case. Because if you put no pace in the midfield, you know, I think even with Murphy in a kind of free role, and no matter how intelligent his passing is, he'll just be too easy to cover. The team is too one-paced. I think that, that that is very much a problem. And certainly I, I believe that's probably why the Cameron-Jerome approach was probably serious, because you need someone with a bit of pace and a bit of power up front, because... Best will in the world, that's not what Jordan Rhodes has got. Jordan Rhodes is about finishing in the box and getting the ball in the box. But you need someone with pace and power to get to, to get the player pushed up forward. And with Leon Best still being injured, and I think that's what Leon Best would offer us. Someone like Jerome on a three-month loan period until Leon Best is fit would be an absolutely fantastic signing. Yeah, and it would also allow us to play Kazim Richards in a in a more natural position for him because he's just he's not a he's not a forward. I put him on the bench to be fair. I'm not a, I'm not a fan <laughs> of Kazim Richards. No, I mean he's he's not. But in, I mean we don't have many options to play on the right. That's a big but problem. He should be an outside wing, uh, in my opinion. She's not. He's not a striker. No, never no. will be. Um, what do we make of penalty gate yesterday? Did he slip? If he, some, I, I, I was arguing on Twitter, it was a terrible penalty. I mean, Leon Best sits right behind me in the Blackburn end, uh, in his box. Uh, and he stood there behind, stood up, 
really intent, what thumbs up, going like, hit it, hit it, hit it. And as soon as he missed it, he just put fingers to his head and so it's just like, use your brain, you idiot. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he'd already hit the ball and then he slipped and because he, he knew he'd miss it, so he just kind of slipped. Uh, but what do you make about, there was a slight argument between him and Jordan Rhodes uh, just before, yeah, you know, Jordan wasn't really uh, assertive, but it's clear that he wanted to take the penalties. I think he's only ever missed one or two penalties for Huddersfield, um, yes. and 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 uh, basically, Kazim Richards just came and snatched the ball off him and said, "No, I'm I'm taking it," and that's it. And I believe Kazim has missed six out of the eleven penalties that he's he's taken in his career. I think sometimes that's where you need a captain who's not. Uh, the goalkeeper to actually make that decision and to turn around and say actually no Kazim you're not taking it with Jordan you're taking it uh, I didn't actually think it was a penalty in the first place anyway I thought it was a very harsh penalty yeah yeah no I, I... but besides the bag you take it and you you get on with it and you, you you punish him for it and it was just shocking I mean just well in the ball that's my attitude for a penalty it it hard it goes in yeah but they also need to have I mean there needs to be a designated penalty taker we shouldn't be in a position where there is any debate when we get awarded a penalty. I mean, all that does is increase the pressure on whoever is taking it. I, I agree. Yeah, I agree, Eddie. I think that comes from the manager, because I was looking at Black, and he didn't, he didn't do anything, but, you know, you need, like you said, you need a penalty taker, backup, you know, two or three people who know, right, he's the first choice, he's the second, he's the third choice, and that just takes all the argument away. Because we had the same situation last year against Everton when we missed the two penalties. And this is kind of farcical, you know, one person took one and then the next person took the other. You just need, you need a man who you, who you know you have confidence in and it should, it should be the £8 million striker. Yeah, and he, you've got the penalty, he's a specialist, you know, he's only missed one out of 15 or two out of 15. So, you know, he, he's your penalty taker, that's it. You just say, you're, you're taking penalties, it doesn't matter if it's nil-nil or five-nil. You know, you, you, any penalty we get, you, you're taking it. End of story. You expect the out-and-out goal scorer in the team to be wanting to snap up the chance to, to add to his tally, and you would expect Jordan Rhodes to have wanted it. It's whether sometimes if you call him Cousin Richards is more, or, or felt more that he was going to actually finish it himself. I don't know. Maybe there was more confidence there. Maybe Jordan Rhodes was a little bit nervous because he hadn't really been given much of the ball and was a bit starved. So you don't know exactly what went on there. But Blackburn, we've got a terrible record off penalties. I remember two we missed two against Bolton when Benny McCarthy was playing. I think did yeah. Roberts take the second one, but they were both terrible penalties. Yeah. Two against Everton last year, two different takers. I think we went for a season where we missed about twelve in a row when we yeah. were the, the the only the only one we've got is Dunny, who seems to be more regular when he's on the pitch that he can put him away, but yeah. Well Dunny just hits it hard, he doesn't mess around, yeah. you know. And, um, Benny McCarthy, for all his failings, had a decent penalty-taking record when, when we had him. Uh, and I don't, Danny Murphy wasn't on the pitch at the time. I know he's took penalties in the past. Yeah, yeah. But too many lightweight players. Colin Cousin Richards is one of those sort of in and out of games. And you just, like I say, you just want someone to welly it. Yeah. And what do we make of Rhodes' finish yesterday? I, I, I thought it was just brilliant the way he uh, mishit shot that he instantly controlled and turned and had a little gap and put it right in, in the bottom corner. Proper, natural kind of finisher. That's why he's an £8 million player, but I think he's wasted in our team when we're not creating enough chances for him at the moment. Yeah, I, I think he's wasted. He's doing far too much work outside the box. He, we, need, we need to somehow make sure that he get he does all his work inside the box because 
whenever he gets a chance round in and around the 18 yard area he just seems to hit the target with just unbelievable regularity and 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 the way he took his goal just shows that you know one chance one goal and and he spent most of his the game yesterday outside the 18 yard box back to goal doing things that aren't really natural to him but he's doing it for the team but we need to make sure that we've got this 8 million pound guy who's so good in the box, who's absolutely natural finisher, that if we're creating two or three chances for him a game, we'll probably put him away and, and easily could end up with 20, 25 goals in this division and, and that would fire us uh, uh, you know, up, up the table, probably to promotion. I think that that's exactly the point, and that's why I'm saying Leon Best, Cameron, Jerome, somebody else to be that that focal point up front and he can be that outlet and then Jordan Rose could call up and join it and just link in the play. I think it's easy at the moment for them to put two or three men on Jordan Rhodes and just defend against him. Yeah. He's, he's only, the only one in the middle. Yeah. Uh, he's a quality finisher. He's always goal against Derby. That didn't even look like a chance. And then all of a sudden it's bang it bottom corner. It was unstoppable. Definite, definite. And uh, just a, a general point. Um, I'm, I'm getting sick and tired of this booing of players. Um, uh, you know, we saw it on Wednesday when Danny Murphy came on. Uh, we saw it yesterday when Danny, Danny Murphy came on. I thought it was more prevalent yesterday. Uh, and when Kazim missed the penalty, there was booing going on. You know, for God's sake, you know, it's just ridiculous because all it does is it affects the performance of the players. Um, I've talked to a couple of players since yesterday and, 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 and they've said that all it does, it, it, it you know, someone like Danny, who's very popular within the dressing room I mean he's an experienced player so he can deal with it so it's not a problem for him but it, they were saying that it definitely affects them that when they come on the pitch and the fans are booing or you know like when Kazim missed a penalty anyone can miss a penalty you know it's just part of the game uh, and this booing thing is crept in over the last six months I know when Keane was here and it was a different situation and people were saying oh well it's all down to Keane and people are frustrated with, with him now he's gone and, you know, yesterday, you cannot, you know, the team were giving it 110% yesterday. You know, there was no, you know, there was a proper performance. They were committed. You know, yeah, it wasn't sexy football or anything, but they were trying their level best to try and get this winner. And, and you know, because he misses a penalty, there's booing, you know, and, you know, all sorts of dissent. And then when Danny Murphy comes on, you know, the, there was more booing than there was on, on Wednesday. And it's just ridiculous. It completely, you know, it's it's really crept in uh, over the last six months, and it's really really starting to to annoy me uh, that that you know that this booing that's that's constantly going on. It's the same people who like to give the players' wives abuse on Twitter. They like to think they're big and clever and something that they're not. Basically, it's you know the same people in the Blackburn end who they, bo- they booed obviously Murphy on Wednesday, and they, there's obviously some criticism from. The majority of fans on that one, so this sort of thing. It's my right to be. I'm going to boo if I want. So more of us are going to boo, and we're going to boo because we can. And it's like trying to pretend that they're the big men, really, and they're quite pathetic, really. And I've spoken to players about it over the time, and they all say the same thing: is you might be booing Colin Cassin Richards, but then the the young players on the bench are about to come on, thinking, oh, they're not going to boo me when I come on, are they? I don't know, you know. And it, it's a negative atmosphere, and it unfortunate I think in that once we get a manager I think things may start to improve in that world because the manager can start to unite us all back together again but ultimately you know we need the team to be winning and we need to get a good platform for whoever comes in and 
seven points out of the last three games is pretty good return to be fair you can't really expect much more yeah I, I think we've just this this culture has developed where now as supporters we're kind of willing to complain about everything I mean you see it on the fans reaction you know everyone we're linked to we get told you know you've got people expressing themselves well if this new manager comes in I won't I won't come back I mean, at a certain extent, you support the football club. You just need to go there and hope that we win matches. I could understand all of the anti-Keen stuff, but he's gone now. And obviously there are complaints about the owners. But the best interest of the football club is that, you know, the team wins matches and the supporters actually support the team, not spend half the time booing players over penalty misses or, you know, they don't think they're running quite enough. It's, it's got a bit ridiculous. And it also means that when people look back on the Steve Keen you know, the demonstrations and, and all the banners and things, they're going to put it all together. And instead of thinking that the supporters were justified um, with the, you know, the efforts they made to have Keane removed, they're just going to think that the whole time we are complaining about everything. I think we need to also take into account here that we've always had boo boys at Rovers. As long as, long ago as I can remember, they've always been booing a particular player and they always pick on a player. And obviously since Keith Andrews have, has gone, uh, they need to find somebody else. You know, Jason Wilcox was a target for a while. Pedersen's always been a target of these people. You know, it was only when Chevy Singh said something against Pedersen, you know, the pension comments, that people stopped booing him and they're doing it, you know, they're, they're cheering him now probably just to annoy Chevy Singh and the Venkis. We've also uh, had some uh, criticism of Eric Black, uh, but uh, his organisation of the team seems to be working um, with, like you say, Steve, we've got seven points uh, in the last week. And uh, we've only conceded uh, some like three goals, I think, uh, uh, during his time. Uh, what, what do you all think about the organisation of the team? If you compare it with, uh, you know, seven, eight matches ago when Steve Keane was around, uh, compared with uh, the, this last two to three matches. Gone back to basics. They've got rid of all the Portuguese nobodies and played uh, players with ex- players mostly with experience of this league, and just sat. Banks of four, a bank of four, and a couple up front. It's just completely basic. It's not trying to do anything clever and just making sure you pick up points. And again, giving a foundation for the new manager to come in who make some changes and start uh, tuning it themselves. Uh, same thing Mark Hughes did, Sam Allardyce did when they took over. I agree. Uh, I think he's got them organised. Uh, he's, you know, like Steve said, he's gone back to basics. He's made sure that we've got a good defensive foundation so we're not conceding goals. And as it proved yesterday and on Wednesday, because with the quality that we've got front, he's banking on you know getting a, a chance and getting one nil up, and then making sure that we have that that clean sheet. And I read some stat: is it three cleans of three clean sheets out of six or four out of six? Uh, Keane had three in forty-eight. So so <laughs> you know that just shows you know what what a difference somebody who knows what they're doing. Uh, can can do you know because we're comfortable last two games uh, and I wasn't at Derby but uh, the, definitely the last two games uh, Robinson has had has had hardly any saves to make uh, we've been organised uh, Hanley and Dan have done superb in the middle the midfielders have given good protection and we've been a, just a very very good solid unit and Black deserves a lot of credit for it obviously we're not you know, I'm not saying that he should become the new manager. But he's shown that uh, we've got a hell of a team here in terms of being able to cope with, with what the attacks in this division have to, to, to throw at us. It's just a matter of getting them organised. And, you know, seven points out of nine, uh, fantastic return this week. And, and well done to him. 
is there an argument here to say that uh, actually Black and Colin Ender, to a certain extent, have actually been allowed an input now the uh, idiot at the top has gone? I, I mean, it's obvious, isn't it? Because th- these two were here before and the defence was all over the place and people were saying, oh, well, what the coach is doing. It's pretty obvious now that he wasn't listening to what the coaches were doing. He was he wanted to do it his own way and he thought he was the expert. So these guys had the input, but pretty much it looked like it was ignored. Now that he's gone, Black, you know, has seen, you know, he's been working with these players for the best part of six, seven, eight months. He knows how to get the best out of them and he's gone and set them up the way he thinks will maximise the, the, the strengths and weaknesses and definitely the weaknesses in defence have, have completely gone over the last few games and it's uh, and it's down to, to the coaching team which is the same that it was under, under Steve Keane uh, maybe being able to do it the, the way they wanted to rather than with the so-called expert who plays football manager and decides that oh, I'll just play this way, this way and 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 it's and it's working. So you know, again, it's another damning uh, indictment of Steve Keane, the manager, uh, because his coaching staff are doing a far better job of of uh, organising the team than what Steve Keane had done um, over the last eighteen months. And it just makes me so much more frustrated because I'm now convinced if we'd got rid of him even at Christmas last year, we'd still be the Premier League. Um, uh, the guy was just complete and utter uh, idiot. That's a nice way of putting it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it's also refreshing to hear the comments that Black comes out with after the match. Again, I'm not suggesting for one minute what he, he wants the job, and I think he he knows he's getting fired. You know, he knows he's leaving the club, and he's saying pretty much what the fans are saying after the match that we sat back too much against Derby, that we invited too much pressure, that. You know that performances didn't look great, but it's three points. It's saying what we're thinking, really, rather than oh, I'll take the positives out of this result and yeah, we'll we'll push on and everybody believes what we're doing as a unit here and all that. That Steve Keane used to say. Yeah, I mean on Wednesday was a really good example where he came out and after the game said exactly what we were thinking that yeah, it wasn't a great performance. We were too deep, and I was looking at him. He was continually telling him to push out in the second half. He wasn't just stood there. He was actually saying push out, push out. You know, he was shouting at the full-backs to, to get the defence further forward. Uh, so it wasn't you know that he told them to sit back. He was trying to get them push out. He was he was bang on when he said that they got anxious. You know, he, he, he said it as everyone saw it. You know, whereas if that had been Steve Keane, he'd have come out with something ludicrous like, oh, we kept the ball like Barcelona do. You know, we kept possession and blah, blah. Um, and and it, it's so, just so refreshing to have somebody who actually says it how it is rather than trying to put a spin on it and again yesterday you know he was he was more positive about the performance because we were you know we dominated the game uh, for for long periods so he was, came out and said yeah that was a much better performance uh, we were in control and and you know you know we got a bit lucky in the end we got the goal but uh, again he he said it exactly what the fans were thinking and and it's just refreshing to have somebody who's continually not you know he's continuously saying saying pretty much what fans are thinking rather than uh, a guy who's trying to put a positive PR spin on things. Well, one day uh, Steve Keane will be hopefully a distant memory. Uh, right now he's uh, still got his uh, case for constructive dismissal uh, ongoing. Uh, there's nothing new to report on that, I understand. Uh, but um, uh, if we could move on to the search for a new manager, 
Um, it's now a month since uh, Keane resigned uh, on 28th of September. Uh, now, are we any closer to a appointment? Cammy, how's, how's things looking in the uh, new manager department? Yeah, um, I'm now pretty much convinced that the new manager will be in by probably Wednesday, Thursday at the latest uh, next week. I think we have now reached uh, decision time. Uh, we had the situation this week where there was a fans revolt <laughs> when Billy McKinley was, uh, when, when the news came out that Fulham had rejected an approach for Billy McKinley. Uh, I'm you know, I think Shebby was very shocked by uh, the reaction of the fans, and obviously it was reported back to him by. Uh, I mean, my, I sent him some messages, and uh, Bragg uh, obviously been in touch with him, and they released a statement, which obviously caused a, quite a bit of uh, discussion. Uh, but you know, they were really just uh, representing the views of of their membership. You know, that, that their members told them that they want they they were unhappy. And so they made the statement based on what their members were saying. Um, so, yeah, uh, and after that, I think there was a, a definite rethink because we were told that the new manager would be in last week. And I'm pretty sure that manager would have been Billy McKinley had it not been for the, the fans' uh, uh, uproar. Uh, you know, uh, so, so rethink. I know Agnew, Shebby and, and uh, Shaw had another meeting and they then decided on a... Uh, another short list of six people uh, on Wednesday and then on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, yesterday, today they're interviewing those people maybe on an informal basis but they're definitely talking to those people on, on the short list. Uh, there's already been discussions with a few managers there's going to be more discussions uh, today uh, and tomorrow and then they'll be in a position to, to make the decision as to who's going to be the new manager and I fully expect it to be before you know Wednesday, Thursday at the very latest. We might get it Tuesday, but uh, we are now at the end point, so to speak, of this uh, elongated process that we've gone through. Uh, the names um, I'll I'll bring you all in on this. Harry Redknapp. Uh, he, this broke on Thursday with the Lancashire Telegraph saying that he's interested, and then the other. Uh, Sky Sports and a few other uh, publications have picked it up, and uh, you know he's interested. He does want to talk to Rovers. Uh, whether Rovers want him, you know that's that's entirely down to Shebby. Uh, I think there is some sort of uh, you know they, obviously it's Harry Redknapp. It's a no-brainer really. Uh, so you know it is a possibility that he could come in. Uh, it obviously depend on what Rovers offer him, uh, what he wants. Uh, what kind of guarantees he's asking for, but uh, he definitely is interested. Uh, he's made it known, uh, not only you know, he told of various journalists, so so he's definitely interested. Uh, what what would you guys make of 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 Harry Redknapp? Well, first of all, uh, could you tell us why Harry is interested? Because uh, he's uh, often quoted as uh, not being interested in coming north of Watford. Um, why why is he interested in Blackburn Rovers? Initially, I was suspicious of his motives, uh, and and I thought he was using Rovers to maybe get QPR or Southampton to to sack their manager uh, because you know he's obviously he's, you know there's pressure on Adkins and there's pressure on Mark Hughes 
uh, now appears, you know, talking to to various journalists who know him very well, that that's not the case. Uh, he genuinely is interested in a Rovers job. Why? Um, I mean, I don't know, uh, but he maybe sees it as a challenge. Uh, you know, maybe he's really desperate uh, to to get back into to the game as as quickly as poss- possible. Uh, as a CV builder, maybe you know, Rovers got a very very good squad. Any manager looking at that squad will say, well. You know, it's not beyond the. You know, it's pretty, pretty. You know, probably the best squad in terms of numbers and and quality in the in the division. Yeah, we've got weaknesses in certain areas, but uh, as a package, it's a really good squad. So maybe Harry sees it as a very easy way of of notching a a, a positive thing on his CV. You know, taking over Crisis Club Blackburn as as it's known within the game and getting them promoted in his first season. You know, it looked good on his CV. So, you know, I don't know why he's interested. I'm quite bemused as to why he would want to come here. And he's never worked outside, um, you know, I think the Tottenham's about as further north he's gone in terms of a job. Uh, so I'm bemused as to why. But, um, you know, people I've talked to, uh, journalists who know him very well, uh, um, you know, are saying that he's he's definitely interested and he's a genuine interest. Uh, so now it's up to Rovers uh, to make, make that approach. And I know it's the Daily Star... But uh, they're reporting that we are going to make a mega box offer for him, and he's and he's definitely interested. He's still not the favourite for the job, though, is he? I mean, looking at the odds at the moment, at uh, eleven o'clock on Sunday when we do this, uh, he's seven to one with some bookmakers. While Ian Holloway's odds-on favourite, uh, you know. Uh, but then again, he's fifteen to eight on another bookie, so I think there's money coming in on Harry at the moment. Looking at it, yeah, definitely. Um, Holloway's, I think. Common knowledge now, uh, Nick Harris did a tweet uh, on, I think, again, Thursday or Friday, where he said Rovers had had, had talks with, with Ian Holloway, and, and I can confirm as well that they definitely have had talks with him. Uh, you know, I don't think Shebby is that keen on, on Holloway. Could be wrong, but I, the impression that I get is that he's not he's not very keen on, on Holloway, and that if he came in, it would be very much a backup choice at the moment. Uh, he's the fans' choice. I think looking at the polls, uh, before the Harry Redknapp link came, uh, people wanted Holloway in, um, but and they have had talks with him. And I know Burnley, Crystal Palace, and Ipswich are all interested in him. Uh, but if Rovers really want him, we'll get him because none of those clubs can match the the finance package that Rovers can offer to to Holloway. So if we really want him, we'll get him. Uh, I just think maybe Shebby's not as keen on Holloway uh, as as others at the club are. But obviously, it just depends on, you know, if if Redknapp says yes, then it's a no-brainer, um, you know. But at the moment, I would not say Holloway is the the definite one hundred ten percent, you know, hot favourite uh, to to get the job. I still think the big blocker on this is Shebby himself, to be perfectly honest with you, because. Holloway and Redknapp aren't people who take no for an answer. They aren't people who take any grief. And they aren't people who, who will accept much interference, unlike Steve Keane, who's a yes man. And both of them two are going to turn around to Sheppey at some point. When another Portuguese nobody's recommended, he's going to basically turn around and say, not under my watch, bye, see you later. That's the worry I've got with those people being manager. I think they'll do a perfectly good job if they're allowed to manage. Yeah, Shebby's going to have to change his way of working because if he wants to get a proper manager in, and, and I agree, uh, someone like Holloway, Redknapp, you know, Mick McCarthy, these guys will want 
110% control of the club. There's no way they'll accept Chevy turning up at the training ground and watching training and, and giving his viewpoint. They, they won't be interested and definitely won't accept any kind of interference in signing players or selling players. You know, that just won't, they just won't wash with them. So Chevy's definitely going to have to change his way of working, even if he gets a younger manager in, someone like, um, you know, uh, you know, Gus Poye or, or whatever. Um, again, these guys, they'll, they'll, they might take his input, but they won't, they won't accept any kind of big time interference. And, and that's my worry as well, Steve, that uh, what is Chebby's motivations here? Is he really wanting to get the best man for the job or is he really wanting to get the best person that he thinks he can work with uh, and and maybe retain some influence in terms of him you know, possibly being uh, a director of football kind of person? Uh, so, so, yeah, uh, if they're getting Harry or, or Holloway, then they'll want complete and utter control of, of things. Uh, and they're both interested. If if Shebby then goes and gets somebody else, then it's pretty it's pretty obvious to, to the outsider that the reason he's not gone for these more experienced guys is because he wants to retain his influence as a kind of like a, a foot, a director of football. And and that worries me hugely. Yeah. Can I just ask Eddie uh, what your thoughts are on the uh, Harry and uh, Ian Holloway? Um, I'm not a huge Holloway fan. I kind of feel that his personality has made him, you know, more popular than it should have. Obviously, his record is good. So in comparison to some of the other names that we've been mentioned with, um, you know, I I think he's an okay choice. But as soon as the Redknapp um, sort of interest came you know came into the news i i thought he was the obvious selection i don't know given his experience both in this division and in other divisions and just you know the knowledge he has in terms of bringing in players and and you know shaping teams and doing that at the same time as playing attractive football i think we'd be you know incredibly stupid not to if he really is interested not to take him up on the offer yeah yeah um, what about uh, the team that uh, Harry Redknapp would bring with him? Uh, is it possible that he would bring, uh, for example, Tim Sherwood with him? Uh, Cammy, have you any news on that? No, I mean, I don't think anywhere near any kind of discussions uh, that who he'd, who he'd bring in. But if you know, Shebby's um, kind of uh, um, wanting a younger man in, so this might be uh, a good good way of him doing this so you bring someone experienced like Harry Redknapp in and then bring uh, a Sherwood or a, a Billy McKinley uh, in as an assistant manager with Harry grooming them to become the, the, the new manager in you know, 12, 18 whatever months time once Harry decides to move on so that would be a, a, a good forward way of doing things where the next man is already in working with, with Harry I'd be surprised if Sherwood left uh, Spurs uh, to to come and become an assistant manager at Rovers, but uh, obviously he's got a very very strong relationship with with um, Harry Redknapp. Uh, uh, Harry's also very close to Les Ferdinand, so you know he might bring him in as an assistant manager. If not, I suspect Shebby would want to bring uh, Billy McKinley in as an assistant manager again. If he brings someone like Harry in, uh, would he work with Billy McKinley? You know, you know, and would would, would Billy leave assistant manager at a Premier League club to become an assistant manager at a Championship club. Uh, so so yeah, there's. I don't think we're anywhere near that 
level of discussion yet. Um, I think first they need to decide on who the manager is. Once they've decided that manager has accepted, then they can start looking at what the backroom staff are, is going to look like. You know, maybe there might be a role for Eric Black uh, in in the new setup. That'll all be down to the new manager. I think the other names to look at is if we're going the young and upcoming route, then Gus Poyet, um, I believe, is is a strong runner at the moment. There's uh, Robinson, Carl Robinson from uh, MK Dons. He's another one. Keith Hill is another one. So there's quite a few young and upcoming managers who who are who are in the running. The other one that I'd like to throw in is uh, Saltshaw. Uh, the results over the last few weeks. Uh, maybe has given Rovers uh, the chance to wait for Solskjaer. So if they can tie him up now and he says, yeah, I'll be joining in middle of November, he could be another very outside chance of, of happening. I don't think that they'll go for him, but uh, his representative said he's interested, but not until the Moldes season is finished. So that's still another two or three weeks away. Uh, so we'll, we'll, I mean, you know, no one knows exactly what's going to happen. You know, you can see the press stories. Uh, different people are being saying different things. You can see the bookies who, who don't have a clue. You know, as to who's going to be there. Different favourites. Gary Flickcroft was a favourite on Thursday, uh, Wednesday evening. You know, really, no one knows what's going to happen. I don't think even Rovers, the club, know what which way they're going to go. But the the fact is, they have now got a firm shortlist. They've talked to people. They've continuing to talk to the other people on the list and come Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, we should hopefully, fingers crossed, have the new manager in place and then we can start moving on from there. Uh, I'd be absolutely amazed if we don't have the new manager in before uh, Saturday. I think we now really are at the end point and, and it's now decision time and you know I, it, it could go anywhere really and it'd be you know, wrong to roll anyone in or out at this stage, but um, we are now at the decision, like decision time, and it's, it is imminent. Yeah, that's good. Good. Well, hopefully this time next week we'll be uh, looking at the new manager. Um, in the meantime, um, we'll just keep our fingers crossed that uh, uh, Shebby is able to make a good and well-informed appointment. Uh, now, Shebby took part in a meeting of the Blackman Rovers United group uh, Friday evening. Uh, Steve, you were there. Uh, first of all, can you just tell us briefly um, about the Blackman Rovers United uh, meeting? Uh, it's been taking place on a monthly basis for several months now uh, under the uh, uh, leadership of Sir Bill Taylor. Uh, would you like to just fill us in on that? Yeah, I'll, I'll sort of cover that one. Uh, Bill, a while back basically saw that there's lots of disparate groups with all different aims all different sort of opinions of what's going on and everybody's fighting in public etc uh and saw that as not being a particularly positive way of sort of representing the fans and representing the clubs so he basically emailed all the websites, all the supporters groups, all the fanzines, etc., and got people to get together into a meeting to discuss what's going on. So in that, there's obviously BRFCS, there's people from the Fans Forum, there are people from the Blackburn Rovers Action Group, there are people from the BRSIT, and there's people from BRST who met up together in that one. Uh, I don't want to speak too much on behalf of those groups, but uh, you know it's apparent that 
at least two of those groups got talking together and managed to find some common ground to to, to do something with Rovers Trust. And at some point, I'm sure we can get Dawn or whoever back involved on, on the podcast to talk about that in a bit more detail. But, you know, Ewell Blues turned up to this meeting and we also had Graham Jones has turned up to a couple. Jake Berry, who's the Rosendale MP, turned up to this meeting. Bill Taylor obviously chairs this, and you've got other councillors who appear from time to time. Uh, and it's basically report on what we've done, uh, report on the disagreements that we've got, and try and discuss them in private and not via podcasts or via. Twitter wars, which then you see at the moment on Twitter, there's now the anti-anti-action group or anti-action group, I'm not quite sure what it's called, there's too many A's, too many G's in it, but uh, that's kind of, I think, representative of a lot of fans who are sick and tired of listening to lots of squabbling and lots of the crap that's going on. So it's, it's real just getting together and to come up with some sort of standard way of working. Now, Shebby was introduced on us at the last minute by Bill, so we never actually expected to see Shebby in the meeting. Uh, we found I found out the first thing was I walked through the car park and Shebby's there. I'm like, hang on, what's going on here? You know, but I think Bill did a blog this week on the Lancashire Telegraph website where he basically met Shebby and gave Shebby a presentation. So he then gave us a 15 minute sort of overview of the presentation, and, which was basically telling Shebby what Blackburn as a town is about. Uh, and then Shebby basically spoke to us and was very glad that groups are together and talking. Uh, an exception of that. And I think Shebby's idea is he wants people to meet more regular kind of a joint council. You know, that that's where he's going from there, really. Uh, we then had the opportunity to press Shebby for any questions afterwards. And it was kind of an eerie silence, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, because I don't think anybody had thought of anything they wanted to ask. Uh, each group had also met Shebby at various times, so you can understand that they didn't want to sort of put themselves out uh, he talked a bit about the manager's situation uh, and what they're trying to do he did explain they'd interviewed somebody and they're going to interview other people and he said by Wednesday there should be an announcement uh, but a week before he told us there'd be an announcement by Sunday the week before so who knows the interesting thing about uh, bringing people in and wanting to talk to people uh, is that not the brief of the the, the newly founded uh, Rovers Trust the Rovers Trust, uh, and I don't want to speak too much on behalf of the Rovers Trust. It's only going to be my understanding. So if anybody from the Trust is listening here and I'm wrong, feel free to correct me. But the Rovers Trust, I believe, at some point wants to have a stake in the club. Hence, Wayne has been writing to some of the people who still hold shares to see if they will donate some of their shares to the Rovers Trust or let the Rovers Trust vote on their behalf to to have some sort of ownership stake. Uh, You've seen through Portsmouth where they've obviously been through quite a few managers and quite a few owners over the last few years that they obviously have been in quite a lot of trouble. And finally, their supporters trust as a legal and professional entity are able to take that over and to be taken seriously. So the supporters trust for me, I fully back it. And I believe in a number of years time, we, we may well need that to be there. So I know the people who are involved. You see, Paul comes on here quite regular. Oz has been on, obviously. I know a lot of the people involved enough full well that they've got Blackburn Rovers' best interest at heart. So, you know, these you know these meetings that we, you've been having, Steve, with the other groups, is it going to lead to the a less public falling out from 
uh, you know, between fans and, and different groups. Because uh, it was really bad over the last week in particular where, uh, you know, when, when the action group uh, statement came out and there was various other groups saying different things and uh, it's all being done, as you said, via Twitter. Uh, where In defence of the action group, and no, none of the other groups were actually sort of saying anything on the manager's situation. The action group put out a statement which they said was on behalf of their members uh, that they weren't particularly happy with the Billy, Billy McKinley appointment, but they, they have a right to say that on behalf of the members. I'm not so sure that it could have been worded differently, and maybe they will take that on board, I don't know. But I'm not going to tell any group not to release a statement, but I think what we found there is a, a wake-up call for quite everybody else involved in whatever group is that, most people don't give a damn about the groups that are around and they're actually sick and tired of it. And I think a lot of people need to take a look at that one and work out how you sort of engage the proper fans. It's not about membership numbers. We've got 9,000, we've got 9,000 this week, 10,000 next week or whatever. It's about engaging those fans who don't want to get involved in the group, don't want to join anything and just want to actually just go and watch watch Rovers win, which I have to be honest, I spoke to quite a few people in Blues Bar before and after the match and... I don't know anybody who's a member of any of the groups who, who, who I spoke to. Uh, and none of them really give a damn about the groups. Just want to actually, uh, again, got game, have a couple of pints, enjoy themselves. I, I agree. I mean, I think they have perfectly, Bragg were you know, perfectly entitled to release that statement that they did on, on Wednesday because they were representing the viewpoints of their fans and, and uh, of their, sorry, members. And you know, people were really angry when the McKinley thing came out. So all they were doing was responding to what their members had said, and and that's like any organisation. If you've got membership and the membership are saying, "Oh, we feel strongly about this issue," then the people running the group are duty bound to uh, release something or say something on behalf of those members. Otherwise, you're not representing those members in in the way that you you meant to be. I think the statement, like you said, could have possibly been worded slightly differently because I think that's what caused the problems where uh, non-Bragg members were saying, well, I don't feel this way, I don't feel that way. So I think possibly this statement could have been uh, worded differently, but you know they were quite entitled to come out and say what they said. Um, so yeah, no problems with that one. Uh, and I think it'd just be great if all the, all the different groups can be brought under one umbrella organisation and they start working together because I'm I'm just maybe just naive, but I think all the groups out there want the best for Blackman Rovers and they just want to do things maybe slightly differently to, to the way that another group wants to do. So it'd be good if there could be some consensus and they're all bought under one umbrella organisation and, and then they all work together uh, to, to achieve you know, what we all want, which is uh, uh, Rovers to be run properly again and, and be respected within the game. Yeah, I think the key thing is each group has to be entitled to have its own identity and do things in its own way. If, if the action group wants to release press statements about managers, then that's up to them and their members to decide. The Rovers trust is set up in a way that they want at some point to take a responsible ownership portion of the club. Uh, the Ewell Blues want to run coaches to games and just to generally go to the games and not really give a damn about anything on the internet and, and BRFCS when we go there we, we obviously have our opinions on these podcasts etc but realistically there's a message board on there it's up to the fans to decide what's on the message board and the content not ourselves 
I know one of our moderators got some stick for pulling a poll up about the Billy McKinley, Tim Sherwood uh, press release, uh, but that proved that the vast majority actually agreed with the action group statement from the Billy McKinley point of view, but then fans themselves on BSS didn't agree with the, the comment towards Tim Sherwood, and I think that's where sometimes the, the intentions of what they actually put out was good, but sometimes the wording means that some people take offence at something that isn't actually there. Yeah, so, um, yeah, we talked about this uh, on a previous podcast about the idea of an organisation uh, that acts as a, as a kind of umbrella. Uh, I think uh, the last time we spoke of this, I think you, Steve, were saying that uh, it's not really a, an organisation as such. It's more more of a, a coalition, really, than an organisation per se. But the idea of, of, of some, some kind of... Um, uh, gathering that, that gets different groups together, uh, whatever uh, way you want to describe that. But uh, uh, anyway, the uh, the coalition, or I think the Blackburn Rovers United meeting, uh, takes place uh, every month uh, under uh, Sir Bill Taylor. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we'll, we're, we're making progress uh, at the club. Steve Keane is now gone, so... Uh, with the appointment of a of a, a good experienced manager, hopefully that'll bring everyone uh, together, uh, and we can uh, start to move forward after uh, nearly two years of uh, of uh, treading water almost. Before we move on, when can I just ask Eddie, who's you know been in Paris and looking at it from maybe a different viewpoint to what me and Steve, because we're we're in Blackburn and we we see these things like sort of on a regular basis as somebody well yourself as well when what do you make of all this you know looking at it from japan and maybe you are open to recently from from paris so you you're outside of blackburn you know what do you make of all these groups and and the arguments etc um well i don't really see i mean i can understand the groups if things get worse could come into play but as things are they seem rather pointless and so it kind of seems to me like a few people trying to get a bit of attention and put themselves into a position where they can, you know, have more influence than they maybe otherwise should do. I don't really see the the long-term benefit of having them unless we get into a Portsmouth situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it would... It would I, it, it seems to confuse me slightly because obviously initially with some of them trying to buy the club that's never going to happen and it, it just seems it's more trouble than it's worth when I see the, the, the flack that some of the the you know the senior members of the groups get I, I don't see why I would do it if it were me I, you know I don't I don't know what the benefit is cool when? Yeah. well from my perspective um, first of all I think it is uh, referring, I presume, to the BRFC Action Group and to the to the Trust, uh, BRSIT, then BRST, uh, and uh, now the Rovers Trust. Uh, but the the coalition, or the, you know, Blackman Rovers United, whatever you want to call it, uh, that actually, as Steve points out, uh, brings together um, over a dozen groups, um, many of which um, are. You know, have have nothing whatsoever to do with uh, direct action. Um, so, some of them uh, are non-internet based. Uh, some are internet based. Um, 
I don't see any problem whatsoever uh, with uh, with there being different groups and with uh, there being overlapping membership. Um, you know, the variety is uh, is the spice of life and all that. I've I've no problem with that whatsoever. Uh, the problem over the last couple of years has been uh, the the, uh, the clarity uh, with regards to the the different briefs that the different groups have had uh, and. The the Rovers Trust now has hopefully brought together um, one one set of uh, uh, of supporters uh, un, under one banner, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Uh, their brief, their aims are completely different to, uh, uh, for example, the Action Group, and uh, also completely different to, for example, the Fans Forum. And I, I think that time will basically um, settle things down where the, the different briefs of the different groups will become clearer and uh, the, they'll basically sort themselves out. There'll be a kind of a, a process of natural selection uh, whereby uh, the, uh, uh, the, 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 need, the needs of, uh, of, of, of the individual groups uh, proceed, uh, you know, individual... Uh, um, uh, aims, shall we say? Could I also say they they need to work out the names because they are at times so similar. In terms of following them, it takes a considerable amount of effort to be clear on which group is is what you know is which and does what. And I mean, the, it seems to me that several groups of them, the coalition is a different matter, but several of them seem to simply be wanting to do the job that the fans forum is in place to do which is relate concerns of the supporters directly to the club. I mean, isn't that what the Fans Forum has always been there for? Yeah, but uh, the, the Fans Forum was, was set up during a, a, a period of extreme, extremely, uh, um, uh, um, how shall I say, uh, of stability, of great stability. And so it, it was never set up with, with it in mind to, to, to sort out this level of problem. Uh, that has um, come to the fore over the last 24 months. Uh, so the, the fans forum was never, never envisaged as being something that could uh, could take on uh, the club in 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 the way that, uh, for example, the action group has taken on the club. Uh, and similarly, ownership issues uh, have have, uh, have never been anything to do with uh, the fans forum. Steve. I think initially the fact that's what the fans forum was. It was a collaboration of various groups, and then as you know, the fact that the communication was good at the time and, and groups had their own collaboration is other people came in and, and represented and themselves on the fans forum and, and became a part of it and that's what that was and we did mention ownership, we mentioned it a number of times asking John Williams, Tom Finn uh, to find out what the progress is of a sale or progress of any takeovers, obviously they'd be very cagey on it because you've got lots of commercial sensitivities but Clearly, the club had been for sale for a good five or six years before we actually sold to the Venkis group. Uh, it's a tough one. I mean, Eddie mentioned the different names and the BRST and the BRSIT, etc. I think that's where the two groups themselves realised that they're actually fighting for pretty much exactly the same cause. They had pretty much the same names and got together and sorted it out between them and hammered it out over a number of meetings. But I don't want to talk on behalf of that group or on really on behalf of the action group because I might say something that mis- misrepresents their views. But every group's entitled to run it in its own way and to try and do what they they need to do. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, interesting, you 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 note that uh, fans forum was all, were already some kind of um, uh, interest in in the in the ownership of the club, but pr- presumably it was never taken beyond uh, just showing an interest, was it, Steve? No, I mean, the, I think it was mentioned at the fans' forum, really, to more of what a Blackman Rovers doing to sell the club, not to actually try and take an active role in the ownership of the club, as I think that Rovers Trust are trying to do. We were more asking questions based on the ownership of the club, and I know that John Williams was at some point quite keen on the idea of having some sort of fan ownership and fan on the board. That was one of John Williams' babies a long, long time ago, but that all went the window really when the Walkers just decided to sell Uh, you're going back to the old Bryce days when we set up uh, an independent supporters association which you know at the time there was a a conversation should we try and create that as a supporters trust or should we just create it as an independent supporters association back then didn't have any support from supporters direct etc we got bogged down doing that by creating messing around too much with constitutions and everything else and, and people fell by the wayside because in the same way as the trust have done now, it takes you two years to get to that position. It's not a five-minute piece of work. You've got to have constitutions. You've got to have all the legal frameworks. And you know, I don't envy the guys who have actually done that because they've obviously put a hell of a lot of time and effort into getting that in, into a position where it's professional enough to launch. And that's launching, I believe, in the next week or two at Blackburn Cathedral. I haven't got the exact date to hand, but we'll, I suggest people go onto the RoversTrust.co.uk website to have a look at that one and attend that. Yeah, the uh, the Rovers Trust uh, launches officially on the 24th of November, so it's uh, just four weeks off Saturday the 24th uh, at Blackburn Cathedral. Um, we'll be having someone on from the Rovers Trust to, to talk about uh, the launch uh, and also about progress uh, in, in the next uh, three weeks, so we'll look forward to that. Um, if we could uh, just round up there... Um, it's been a very interesting uh, uh, little debate we've had about the, the different groups and what have you. But, uh, if we could uh, just round up. Um, the coming uh, weekend we've got uh, Crystal Palace, uh, followed by a Tuesday match at Huddersfield. Both, both are away games. Uh, we don't play at home until uh, Birmingham uh, the week after next. Um, how, how are you all... Uh, uh, fixed for uh, for Palace and Huddersfield. Will you be going to either or both of them? I'm going to neither of them for a change. Uh, I'm actually away when for the Huddersfield match, and uh, I can't make Palace. It's disappointing because the two are the two massive games in the context of a season. Because Palace and Huddersfield are up there with us. These these are games where you really do need to get this new manager in place. You do need to get. Uh, you know, the manager work with Eric Black to, to to see what strengths and weaknesses the players have got and to learn the squad because we need to be getting at least four points out of that one if we want to be up or we certainly don't want to be losing either of those games. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Eddie, are you going to get down to Palace at all? Um, I'm I'm heading back to Paris and I might try and coordinate that with, with going to the Palace game. Um, but I have to see how that works out. Hopefully I'll be able to make one of them. If not, I'll have to resort to the radio. Will you be getting back from Paris for the Huddersfield match at all? Possibly. I'm sort of in the stage of planning everything out, so there's a a slight possibility that I will be. Uh, Kami, how about you? Yeah, uh, Palace absolutely won't be able to get to that one, but um, I will be at Huddersfield. um, So, yeah, 
no Palace game, but definitely to Huddersfield. I'll be at that one. Yeah, it'd be good to see if uh, Jordan Rhodes can uh, put one over his old team. <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, you know, it'd be. I mean, actually, Palace game could be the big one because it could. You know, if all things go well, we should have the new manager in place before that game. Um, so it could be the the debut of of whoever the new manager is. Uh, so I suspect. Um, Tickets for that game, if they haven't already been sold out, may well sell out uh, once the new manager has been named. Well, if it is Harry, then he won't have far to go for his first match. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you get a bit of a nosebleed coming up to Huddersfield on the Tuesday, though. Well, uh, that's all we have time for today. Uh, thanks to the team. Uh, also, uh, thanks to Josh for taking care of the recording uh, and also uh, for the production of this podcast. Thanks to him. Just like to say thanks to Eddie um, for doing the, uh, the the team lineups and the halftime and full time reports. Um, it's, uh, it's been a little bit difficult uh, recently uh, with uh, uh, technical issues and uh, with his his move over from uh, from Paris. But uh, thanks to him for, for for looking after that. Thanks, Eddie. That's yeah, it's, it's a pleasure. Yeah, it's good. And uh, thanks to Steve uh, from BRF Sadman coming on today. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, Cammy, good to have you on again. Uh, thanks for coming on. Yes, thank you very much. Let, let's hope we've got a good week ahead of us. Yes, yes, a uh, new manager would, uh, would do us, I think. Good. Well, uh, thanks ever so much uh, to everyone for listening in. And uh, we hope wherever you are that you do take care. Thanks ever so much.